Our sermon text this morning comes from John 14, which is part of a beautiful section in the middle of the Gospel of John. In the first half of the book, uh, Christ appears and ministers and makes God known. And in the end part of the book, he does his work on the cross. And for a large section in the middle, in in chapters 14 and 15 and 16 and 17, uh, he spends time just with his disciples, talking with them Uh, closely, intimately, before uh, he leaves. And this is the way that section begins. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can you say that we know? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. It is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Well, we are wrapping up a series of messages that are connected with a question, and that is that we're living with questions, a theme called living with questions. And so uh, we are looking at a question that arose during a conversation with the disciples in John 14. We've looked at a number of uh, abiding questions that we have as Christians, uh, that things are still yet unresolved in our hearts. And uh, surprise, surprise, uh, we have some disciples here with some questions. They've been walking with Jesus for a long time. And uh, inevitably, I can say uh, as one who teaches the Bible uh, quite often, I've been in Bible studies where someone will ask or they will say, lamenting, I wish I could have been there uh, when Jesus walked this earth. And the idea is that it would have been easier uh, if you would have been so close to Jesus that you would understand things more clearly and you would uh, be more readily uh, available to believe, you'd believe more quickly. It's an interesting text where we have two disciples who have been walking with Jesus, uh, the son of Mary, uh, the one who would grow to be a man, who would become uh, this extraordinary prophet, this extraordinary uh, leader of Israel, and the true final son who would come to deliver his people, and the disciples don't understand. And so we're going to investigate this, question, the, the, this text for a bit, and uh, hopefully we'll connect this with, uh, with Advent, with our lives, and, uh, and with the, the truth that we need uh, today. So would you join me in prayer? 
Father, thank you for uh, the gathering of your church now as we come before uh, not the opinion of men. We come before your word. You have preserved your word uh, through time. You have made sure that what we see on our Bibles, uh, in our Bibles, is accurate. And Father, we would thank you that beyond that, you have given the Spirit who now moves among us to take the truth and to make it real, burning, living truth in us. And so, Lord, this Christmas morning, we pray to that end, that we will know we have encountered the living God. He has spoken to us. And we now move into, into greater certainty and knowledge of you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. As uh, Pastor Nathaniel mentioned that John's gospel uh, has, a, has a shape to it. And we find ourselves here in John 14, which is uh, the beginning of a series of teachings from Jesus, the final farewell discourse. But prior to that is a series of signs, uh, evidences that Jesus is who he says he is. And the son of Mary, the one that we uh, celebrate this morning as being born in Bethlehem, will become this extraordinary miracle worker. And uh, he debriefs with his disciples here. He is... Um, setting up a conversation and drawing out of them what he already knows that they fail to know, but he's bringing these, these things from their hearts out in the open that the other disciples can hear and we can overhear this conversation. And so just by way of the, the speech of Jesus or the speaking of Jesus, let me give you three ideas this morning coming from John 14. Jesus speaks to our, our anxieties and our fears. We'll look at verse 1 to address that. Jesus speaks to our need to know the Father. And Jesus speaks to our longing for certainty. A couple of those subjects you may think, I didn't, need, I didn't know I needed that. In many ways, we are like the disciples who are close in proximity to truth, but we haven't really entered into, into the fullness of it. This week alone, I have been reflecting uh, a great deal on John 14, 6. That's a famous Bible verse. Uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Uh, that's a great verse to have in your back pocket when you're talking to someone who doesn't believe. Or the exclusivity of Christianity is a, is a big issue today. Uh, who are you Christians to say that Jesus is the only way? And at that point, you can pull this verse out and say, wait a minute, I'm not the one saying it. I didn't come up with this. And you can let Jesus speak for himself, as you quote John 14, 6. But as I've reflected on it, I realize that I have uh, understood that verse uh, in sort of a cursory way. Of course, he's the way of salvation. But Jesus, when he says this, and we're going to get there, he's meaning the fullness of everything that we need is wrapped up in that verse, verse 6. So let's just take a look for a moment that Jesus speaks to our anxieties and our fears Look at verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Imagine what Jesus observed in his disciples that would evoke that statement. Believe in God, believe also in me. So he equates um, an understanding of who God is, God's care, God's provision. Everything you think of God, uh, every, every aspect of God that you imagine to be good for you, that is, it is uh, life-giving to you, that is supportive of you, 
I want, everything you think of God in terms of, of something good for you, I want you to associate that goodness with me. As you believe in God for care, as you believe in God for, for sustenance and to be upholded and to be strengthened, for every reason you turn to God, Jesus now says, believe also in me. What he's doing is he is coming to a conclusion, helping the disciples come to a conclusion. You've seen these miracles. You've seen the things I've done. And now I want to debrief with you. I want you to understand what this means is that you must now transfer your whole belief system to me. He's beginning to now direct the disciples into what it looks like to rely on him at the deepest, deepest levels. He has the authority to do this. He now moves into interesting discussion in verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Jesus had been instructing his disciples about their eternal dwellings and the safety they would experience in the new heavens and the new earth. This is the son born in Bethlehem who now grows to be a man and now he's instructing uh, his disciples of their, the security they can enjoy because of who he is. The one who was not uh, granted a room at the inn is now concerned for his disciples that they would have an eternal dwelling uh, with God forever and ever. He has the authority to tell them, I can do this. And I am going to prepare a place for you. It is hard, as uh, Joel mentioned, that it's hard to just focus on the birth of Christ alone because we see, ultimately, the unfolding of the plan. We already see a cross in our, in our, in our mind's eye. As we look at the, at the stable, as we look at the manger, we know we're in on the drama. It's like you've been watching a play for several weeks and you know how it ends and you know where it, where it starts, but you know the, the, the crescendo that is, it's leading toward, to borrow a phrase from music. So here's the deal. Jesus knows that they're about to enter into uh, a very difficult time. They're going to see him. Uh, fulfill the, the purpose for which he was born, and that is that he would give his life as a ransom for many, and it's going to be bloody. And he is now setting up this assurance that God loves them through all this chaotic experience when they're going to go into Jerusalem and it's going to be rough and difficult, d- difficult for them. He's setting it up for them. Believe in me. Trust me. I will guide you through this. He has the authority to tell them, I will remember you. You see, this is what we're part of on Christmas morning. We are remembering that we are part of this Christmas story, and it includes us, and it includes us adoring the Christ child. Yes, it includes us adoring the one who rose from the grave, the whole picture of redemption. We are part of it, and as we are part of it, we will be remembered. Believe in God. You believe in God, believe also in me. As Moses was authorized to speak on behalf of God, Jesus is now the final Moses who speaks on behalf of God. As Moses delivered God's people out of Egypt and brought them to the edge of the promised land, now Jesus, the final Moses, brings his people out of captivity to to sin 
And now he brings us to the, the, the edge of, of the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus is authorized to do this. He speaks to our anxieties and our fears. Many of our anxieties and our fears are rooted in a sense of insecurity. The disciples here are uh, voicing their insecurities. They've seen extraordinary things, but in this moment, they are essentially panicking because Jesus has used one word, and it's changed the whole conversation. He says, I am go. I'm going. And when he says that word going, now something changes in the whole trajectory of the conversation. He is preparing them for life when he is not present. And they are anxious. And he speaks to that anxiety. Jesus Christ now speaks not only to our anxieties, but he speaks to something that we didn't know we needed, and that is knowledge of the Father. Look at verse 6, a famous text, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It rises, though, out of a question from Thomas in verse 5. Jesus says, uh, and you know the way where I am going in verse 4. You know where I'm going, and Jesus is drawing out the fact that they do not fully grasp where he is going. And verse 5, Thomas asks this. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And in verse 6, Jesus says this. I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. And then he adds this tagline, as it were. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, that raises all kinds of questions. Jesus is, ex- is claiming exclusivity. That's a, a universal negative. Uh, no one. No one can. No one is able. And Jesus is saying that he is fulfilling the, f- the final role of the temple. The, the portal, through his body, we will come to the Father. Jesus is the incarnation of the Father. In Jesus Christ... We see God. In John 1.14, we have this extraordinary statement from John where he says, And the word became flesh and tabernacled or pitched his tent among us. God in the old covenant set up his tent that the people might see him regularly and know his presence. In the New Testament, God pitches his tent in the body of Jesus that people might see God and know his presence. Jesus is going to be the dwelling place. Through his body, the son born to Mary, through his body we will all go by faith and into the Father's presence. Notice also that Jesus says in verse, uh, verse 7, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, look at this stunning statement, end of verse 7. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. What's extraordinary about the incarnation is God is saying to the world, this is my face. This is, what I want to, uh, this is how I want to be represented. When we think within the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one representation of God that God has authorized It is not an image that men can make. It's an image that God says I will be represented by, and that is the image of his son. 
And so what we have here is that Jesus Christ, born of Mary, declares to these disciples that if you have seen me, you've seen the, you've seen the one you cannot see, and that is the Father. And what have they seen? They've seen his extraordinary miracles. No doubt they have heard his words, the, the Father's words through the Son, but they have also seen his extraordinary miracles. Verse 8, Philip says, look, I'm with you. Essentially, I'm with you. This is great. I need to see some signs. In verse 8, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. This is, this is good. We want to see the Father. And it is enough for us. He's, he's looking at the, the great revelation of God. And he says, I'd like something else. Um, can, can, you do, can, can we do something else that's big? He's asking for a manifestation of some miraculous Something that would help his faith. And then we have verse 9 where Jesus says to him, and here's his response. He doesn't move to saying, okay, well, I'll, I'll just do another miracle for you, and that will help your faith. Look at, verse, uh, look at verse 9. Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Once again, he drives it home. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe, look at verse 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. There is this in relationship between the Father and the Son. And this may feel a bit distant on, on, ad, on Christmas morning, but, but this is what it's about. Ultimately, we, we didn't know this was our great need. Our great need is to see the unseen Father. And Jesus comes to reveal the Father in all his extraordinary love in all his uncanny mercy, in all his uh, dynamic power, the Father has come to be manifested in a certain way, and he says, I will show up in the body of my Son who will be fully human and fully divine. The Father has manifested himself ultimately when Christ was born in Bethlehem, the ultimate special revelation of God that Philip was asking for has been made, has been done. God has acted greatly in the revelation of Christ. Show us the Father and it is enough for us. And Jesus says, you can see him because you see me. And then thirdly, listen to this. Jesus Christ speaks to our longing for certainty. Listen to this verse 11. It's just a beautiful phrase um, because he, he really acknowledges, Jesus acknowledges that there's sort of a, a couple of levels of faith. There were people who encountered Jesus' words and they said, amen, I believe. Uh, the centurion, the healing of the centurion's son in the Gospel of John. He didn't, he didn't need Jesus to come over there. He just, if you commanded it, I'm used to, I'm used to hanging around people with authority. <laughs> and if you have authority, you have authority to heal. Uh, I believe. As Jesus taught, he, he expected people to, to respond to his words. But it's interesting, verse 11, look at this. He says, believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Just believe that. 
But then he says, or else believe on account of the works themselves. You struggle with faith. Okay. Here's something for you. I want you to believe based upon what I've done. Now, you may be a skeptic here this morning. You, you may say, well, look, this is all very well and good, and I'm glad that, that, that there are religious people in the world, and they seem to do good things. But uh, Jesus is a distant idea for you. First of all, we're glad you're here. But here's what's going on, is that Jesus is presenting to us in this statement a way to find certainty. And if you're a skeptic saying, look, I want certainty. I, I, I'm not going to believe unless I, I see it. Well, God, in many ways, is answering your question. Okay, you'd like to see it. Well, because it's, it's, these are events in history, here's how you can see it. Just like if we were to, if you had some skepticism about something that happened in the Civil War, and someone held up to you, well, here's how you can see it. And you, you read something on an account. You read a letter from that time period. That would be an evidence for you to, to consider and to weigh heavily as you desire to see the truth. Here we are this morning, Christmas morning. Jesus Christ comes to us in the power of his word and the spirit. And he presents to you the evidences for faith. What are they? Well, in John's gospel, we have six beautiful miracles that are setting up this statement of Jesus. Believe my words. Believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. If you can't do that, believe the works themselves. John 2, Jesus turns water to wine. The Bible tells us that. The scriptures record that Jesus comes to a, to a wedding in Cana and he takes water pots and turns them into wine. It would be great to have Jesus at a party, wouldn't it? He enjoys, enjoys the celebration uh, that's going on there, and he sees that they're, they're running short on wine. And he comes, and of course John now is sculpting for us an extraordinary picture of Jesus. It's not just that he's a miracle worker, but he is at the level of the creator. John 2, water to wine. How about John 4, the centurion's son, healed, and he is the, he is the sovereign giver of life. There was a man who was by a pool in Bethesda, and... Jesus comes and heals the man. There are people who are hungry in John 6, and he feeds the 5,000. There's a man who was born blind in John 9, and Jesus heals him. And if that's not enough, how about rising someone from the dead in John 11, Lazarus, the account of this man who'd been dead for days. And so in John 1 through 12, we have Jesus being portrayed and, and written about accurately that he is the one who has come to bring about a whole new creation. As God's spirit hovered upon the, the darkness and the waters and shaped what we now know as creation, so now God's son comes and in this miraculous working now shapes the new creation. He will be the one who will bring about ultimate healing of the bodies. As far as the curse is found, joy to the world says, as far as the curse is found, Christ has applied his work to all of creation. This is Mary's son, the one we adore. 
if you can't receive his words, then watch what he has done. John put it this way in John, uh, John 1.14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And of course, the final miracle of Jesus. We may not think of it as a miracle. But we should use that terminology. The final miracle of Jesus is when, after he had done all these miracles, he then now points to himself and says that I, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. As Jesus comes as the one who now has the power to bring about the new creation, as God worked six days and then said, it is finished, Jesus works. He works his whole life and his ministry, and then upon the cross, Jesus Christ cries out, It is finished. The final miracle is that our conscience can be clean. We can come to this one and come through Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. We realize that we are ultimately dependent upon Jesus Christ, the one born of Mary. Ultimately, Christmas Day points away from itself. It points all the way to the new heavens and the new earth. And so this Christmas day, we know what Jesus, the son of Mary, said after he had labored and did all the works to bring about a new creation, he traveled willingly to the cross on a mission of mercy from the Father. This is why the angels sing of glory. They know that he has come to accomplish what no one can accomplish. He has come to do the final and great work of the Father. The Father is willing to come after a fallen world. The Father is willing to come in this mission of mercy. And John says, of the whole work of Jesus, he says, and we saw his glory. And now for you, here's the gift that God gives you today. He gives you the abiding fellowship of people who see the glory as well. Around you are people who by faith, who by, by listening and absorbing and, and investigating and, and looking at the miracles of Christ and the words of Christ, these things are living. They bring us to a living Savior and the, the gift that God gives us Sunday after Sunday as a church is that he manifests himself in the life of his body. He gives us the word of God, but he also gives us the life of his son manifested in those that we are in fellowship with in the church. You see, ultimately, we are an expression to the world of the glory that we are seeing. You are tasting of glory right now. You're feeling it. You're sensing it. You know something wonderful has taken place. But you also see the great panorama of what Jesus has accomplished. And that moves in you. It changes you. It causes you to think about God's world like he thinks of his world. That he's willing to go into the world. And he commissions us 
to go into the world, you see. This is how he stirs us. This is what he does. This is the gift of his grace that we move from self to others. And we think not all that much of it as God's spirit moves among us. That great. The gift of the life of Christ among us. Sunday after Sunday, in fellowship groups, in, in times of prayer. What a gift God has given us that we are sustained continually coming to Jesus Christ who says to us today, I am the way, the truth, and the life. May we know him and may we know the Father through him. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I am among people who have tasted of your glory. Father, they know that it is only a taste and the future is bright. Father, help us become a counterbalance for the sorrow that we may feel. Help us to be a strength for us for the weakness we may experience. You have shown us the Father and what a glorious Father you are. We would thank you for the gospel today embodied in the life of Jesus Christ given to the world, manifested in his church. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.